You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Powerful new video tonight of a high-speed crash that killed a Vancouver area doctor. And we want to warn you that while some may find the video disturbing, the victim's family supports the public seeing it in the hopes it'll change driver behavior. Here's Romina Dea. Pay attention to the right side of your screen. Ken Chung's silver Audi enters the intersection. Police say Chung was doing 140 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone, 119k at the point of impact, when he struck Dr. Alphonsus Huey's vehicle in November 2015. The doctor, who was on his way to his practice that morning, died from traumatic injuries. The court evidence was released by Judge Rideout after a global news application. The victim's family supports the release of the video, saying, quote, We hope that it speaks to the reasons why we need an immediate driving ban for Chung and changes to our legislation regarding excessive speeders with multiple offenses. Chung was acquitted of dangerous driving causing death, a decision that sparked public backlash online. More than 68,000 signatures have been collected on a petition supporting the Huey family's fight to change the law. Judge Rideout ruled the evidence did not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that there was a pattern of dangerous driving for blocks. It was momentary acceleration. You can't argue footage. And it clearly shows that Mr. Chung was going 140 kilometers from 42nd and through into 41st. Just that fact alone, how is that not a marked departure from what a normal person would do? The judge hopes the video will educate the public about a culture of speeding which can lead to devastating consequences. That is difficult to watch, Romina, and uh, I guess with a little more perspective on this tragedy, this case has become so high profile, the judge who originally acquitted Chung is now getting threats? He is, Chris. That's what he said today in court. There have been threats online. The judge has advised the court sheriffs about this. And while it seems outrageous to so many people out there that Chung was found not guilty, the judge ruled the evidence did not meet the legal test to find criminal fault. The BC Prosecution Service is appealing the ruling. Chris. All right, we'll see how that goes. Thank you, Romina. Police on Vancouver Island are investigating the discovery of human remains near Euclid. While it's too early to say if they could be that of 43-year-old Ryan Daly and 37-year-old Daniel Archbold, RCMP do say the remains are of two individuals. Daly and Archbold were last seen May 16th, leaving the Euclid Small Craft Harbor. They had just finished an eight-week sailing trip from Panama to B.C., Police say they're working with the families of the two men and are asking that their privacy be respected at this time. Surrey's top cop is asking city council for a significant boost in the number of boots on the ground. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the call comes after growing frustrations over violence in the city, including the recent murders of two teenage boys. About once every week this year, Surrey RCMP have responded to gunshots in the community. Fewer than in other years, but still alarming. The outrage in the community culminating with the deaths of two teenagers. On the weekend, people demanding accountability from both the police and the people who pull the purse strings. When you guys are going to ask that we need a Surrey police, Surrey's own police like that. The officer in charge of the Surrey detachment wants something done too. 
He's asking city council to give him more officers. The current complement being whittled away by things like retirement, leave, and secondments to specialized units. The bottom line? The RCMP want more officers on the street. What we want to do is keep pace with the growth of this city. It is a dynamic and fast-growing city with a large population, a large number of youth in our population here. Our OIC is coming forward to say that we want to keep uh, the service to the city of Surrey high. BC's second largest city has a usable police force of 777. Compare that to Vancouver with a force of roughly 1,400. According to the city of Surrey, policing already makes up 35% of its total budget. We are unique. Our demographics are unique. We have one-third of our population under the age of 19. So I think that we need to do things differently for our municipality. You know, if there is a shortage of police or you want the city police, you know, I'm there as a parent too. Because the overall numbers of new police officers hasn't been decided, but City Council is sitting down with the RCMP to talk about what Surrey needs and what taxpayers can afford. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Suman Virk, the mother of murder victim Rena Virk, has died. Families say Suman Virk died over the weekend from a tragic accident. She became an anti-bullying advocate following the brutal murder of her daughter. Rena was swarmed and beaten by a group of teens in Victoria in 1997. Suman and her husband channeled their pain into combating bullying and violence in the school system. Suman was 58 years old. Well, if you're a transit user, you could soon be paying more or even less for your ride. After months of public consultation, TransLink is suggesting getting rid of zone fares altogether, replacing them with a distance-based system. Grace Kino on how it would work. Christina Romeo travels every day from Surrey Scott Road to Burnaby's Lowheed Town Centre station. It's not a great distance, but it is a two-zone fare. As it is right now, I don't think it's fair. But I think if they do change it to distance-based, then that would, be, that would be more fair for sure. Nearly three-quarters of you said you'd like to replace the current zone-based system. That's exactly what TransLink has in mind, shifting from fare zones to distance pricing between stations on SkyTrain, C-Bus, and future rapid rail projects. The change would address many of the common complaints they hear about the current fare system. There's been a lot of issues that we're, we've heard around uh, fairness of, of the nature of arbitrary zone boundaries on the system, uh, steep price increments. You could be saving money if you travel short distances across zones. You could be paying more if you travel long distances within a single zone. For example, if you travel between Vancouver's Marine Drive to Waterfront, you would pay $2.20 in stored value for one zone. That nine-kilometer trip could cost you an extra 40 to 75 cents on under the new structure. A trip from Joyce Collingwood to Metrotown costs three twenty-five for two zones, but that same three-kilometer trip could save you a dollar and five cents, keeping in mind the pricing is subject to change. Moving in the right direction then, I guess. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, no, that's terrible. I think it's simpler just to keep it the way it is. The maximum fare would remain the same as the three-zone fare. You'd pay a flat fare for buses. 17% of passengers would see an increase, another 17% a decrease. A majority would pay about the same. TransLink is asking for your input until July 29th, and if approved later this year, the system could be up and running by 2020. Grace Key, Global News. It's only been warm for a couple of days, but already heat warnings are being issued for Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. 
Temperatures are climbing and it's likely to be tough to sleep the next few nights. John Waugh has more on how people are coping and who's most at risk. It's a blast of heat. Many in the cooling industry knew was coming. But a heat warning now in effect for several parts of B.C. still has Big Valley trying to get a handle on the huge number of calls. Phone falls off the wall. I try my hardest to get theirs as best I can, especially if you give me the mother or the baby or the ones there. I'm there. I don't care what time it is. And according to Vancouver Coastal Health, seniors and young children aren't the only ones at risk. They become dizzy, they may get confused, and uh, sometimes they may lose consciousness. Those are things that you look for. The most at risk are the homeless, with the extreme heat putting their lives on the line. And the resources needed to help them are dangerously low. So right now we have absolutely no reusable water bottles to hand out. Um, Things like sunscreen we don't have. Um, Absolutely no hats up here. Building off 30 work-related claims for heat stroke and exhaustion last year, WorkSafe BC is asking crews to try to stay cool. Try to do the heaviest work earlier in the day so that uh, as the heat increases, as the day goes on, we're not doing all the heavy lifting. Others have to do all their heavy lifting in an air-conditioned room. There you go. One of the perks of this sweet summer gig. We get these huge lineups out the door and I see people like sweating and I'm like, wow, I have it pretty good in here. Being outside isn't that bad with a splash pad to help bring the temperature down. I like getting dunked on by the water with the buckets. Toss in a refreshing ice cream cone. Cheers. Yeah. And it seems people are finding ways to beat the heat. John Hua, Global News. They sure are. And meteorologist Christy Gordon is one of them out tonight enjoying it. Christy, I know we broke some records and maybe you can let us know how long this is going to last. For sure, Chris. So, yes, second day in a row of record-breaking conditions. I've tallied seven so far broken across the province. Here are the top four. I think, though, in not too long, we'll find out that there's a number more uh, records broken across the province. Top one, Pemberton, 37.3. That's the hot spot across Canada. And with the humidity, it's at about 38 degrees there, uh, humidex level. Lytton, 36.9. And you can see Port Alberni and Agassi not too far behind. We have two more days of this on the way for the south coast those of you in the interior though three more days so when i come back chris i'll show you which areas will be hottest tomorrow sounds good thanks christy a canadian first bc announcing today it will invest provincial housing funds into social housing projects on reserves in indigenous communities our keith baldry is live in victoria with the details on this one we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars keith Yeah, this is a very major funding announcement, Sophie, made by the Premier and Prince George today. What kind of numbers are we talking about? Well, take a look. $550 million. That's a huge amount of money. Spread over 10 years, though. Probably about $50 million a year for on-reserve and off-reserve housing. Totals about 1,750 separate social housing units. And on top of that, there's another $250 million targeted for Indigenous investments in other areas over the next three years. And as you mentioned, uh, normally this is a federal government area of jurisdiction. And the feds are supposed to be the ones funding a lot of programs. But John Horgan today making the point in Prince George, things had gotten so bad for so long on reserves, the action was required now and it had to come from his government. Here's the premier. 
significant? Oh, it's profoundly significant because it has been a barrier to uh, addressing critical housing needs on reserve right across British Columbia. Uh, the federal government is primarily responsible for housing on reserve, and as many of the speakers have said, it's been several decades since any meaningful investment has been made. The current government has talked about building programs, and we want to just accelerate that. So this week, this week you see another major announcement coming from the NDP government that does have implications for First Nations, and that is whether or not to renew the 20-year uh, le- leases on fish farms in the Broughton Archipelago. A lot of First Nations oppose them. A lot of First Nations support them. That decision expected this week. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, there's a move today to rename two very well-known public spaces in Vancouver. Trachen. And then the first part is Trachen. The new indigenous names apply to the Vancouver Art Gallery and the Queen Elizabeth Theatre Plaza. The new names honour the traditional names given to the public gathering spaces by the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish First Nations. Schleklenuk, or Hutlunk Square, is the art gallery, and I haven't practiced enough to even attempt the Queen Elizabeth Gallery one, but I'm working on it. You know what? Good for you for trying. I I threw it out there. Well done. Five B.C. families waiting to adopt children in Japan are now stuck in limbo in that country, even though they filled out all the paperwork and the adoptions were approved. The Canadian government won't grant them the visas they need to bring the children home. Tanya Beja explains why and the impossible position it puts them in. So this here is the baby's nursery. The room is ready, but Ryan Hogue is still waiting to bring home his 10-week-old daughter. Certainly uh, being alone on my first Father's Day was certainly not something that uh, any new father would want. Hogue and his wife, Wiani, were approved to adopt a baby girl from Japan. They picked her up in Tokyo last month, but Canada refused their daughter a visa to come home. 200 Canadians have adopted from Japan before under the exact same process um, without issue. And so uh, certainly did not, uh, did not anticipate it. The Canadian government is temporarily suspending adoptions from Japan because of a change in how the American government handles adoptions from that country. In a statement, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada says the government of Japan has informed the U.S. that the courts must authorize inter-country adoptions. This has not been part of the process for Canadian families. We are seeking clarification from the Japanese government. No Japanese government official has ever contacted the Canadians, to our knowledge, to complain about this process. Alex Stoichevich represents five BC families currently caught in the bureaucratic bungle. They've been stuck in Tokyo with their infants for eight weeks, even though Stoichevich says the families did everything right. You know, we have two legal opinions that uh, were obtained from Japanese lawyers that the process that was followed was properly done. Lee Fodi and his wife Marcy adopted a baby boy, but have no answers on when their family can return to BC. We're suffering emotionally. We're being our finances are being vacuumed out. We live in Vancouver, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world, and now we're setting up a second home in Tokyo. As for Hogue, he's back yeah, in Coquitlam working, really good, while Wiani is raising their daughter in a Tokyo hotel. Toughest thing I've ever done, for sure. Tanya Beja, Global News. Well, many of us would love to give ourselves a raise, but one Coquitlam councillor says self-imposed raises for elected officials need to stop. Terry Towner is taking her fight to council tonight, and Ted Chernecki has more on why she decided to take on this battle. All those in favour? 
That vote-yourself-a-pay-raise issue is still simmering to the point a Coquitlam councillor wants it off the stove for good. Politicians are still hearing it. We all get painted with this brush, right, that we're pigs at the trough. How Metro Vancouver first voted themselves a pay-raise and then, under intense public pressure, had to reverse it. Uh, All those in favour? Opposed? Motion fails unanimously. For more than two decades, pay raises at the local level in Coquitlam have been tied to negotiated wage increases. Whatever QP got, so too did council. But even that's not really working anymore. I'm not bringing this forward for me personally or me as a Coquitlam city councillor. I just think that it's, the system's broken. So tonight, Councillor Towner will introduce a motion to have the province take over the issue of remuneration because anything less still looks self-serving and she believes it diminishes the council's credibility. People come up to me and there's very strong feelings out there. It's a conflict of interest, it diminishes the public trust, all that, that kind of narrative out there when we vote ourselves in any kind of change to our remuneration. Look at Vancouver where only one councillor is seeking re-election. This fall there will be a major turnover in cities everywhere. And as much as taxpayers might not want to see any pay increases, the reality is you might just get what you pay for. People want to serve the public, but when they have to vote themselves in their own raise and then take the frenzy that goes with that, it's not attractive for a lot of people. Metro Vancouver is also studying ways to avoid mayors having to vote themselves a pay increase ever again. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Yes. A recalled Samsung washer should have been an easy fix, but one customer found out it was anything but. When he'd had enough after 17 months of trying to get it repaired, he called our Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa, who helped get the job done for him. Yeah, he waited a very long time to get results. Thanks, you two. Stan Weir chose the option to have his washing machine repaired, but well over a year went by and he was no closer to getting a resolution. That is, until Consumer Matters stepped in to help. I'm happy that it's repaired. Happy and relieved. Stan Weir had been patiently waiting for well over a year to have his Samsung washing machine repaired. Back in 2016, some Samsung top-load high-efficiency washing machines were part of a major North American recall after reports of the washing machine top suddenly detaching. Samsung offering affected owners an in-home repair or a rebate towards a new replacement machine. Stan Weir received his important safety notice in October of 2016. He opted for the repair. Samsung, I guess, contacted uh, or contracted a local uh, business to service all of the warranty repairs that were uh, required in this area. But Stan says he was told by the contracted company, which is located in Castlegar, it couldn't help him because it was out of the service area. Stan lives about two hours away in Johnson's Landing in the West Kootenays. I felt discriminated against. It's not my problem where I live. Stan says he repeatedly followed up with Samsung, but says he was no closer to getting his machine repaired. In fact, he says in October of 2017, one year after he received his safety notice, Samsung offered him a credit of $595 towards a new Samsung washer. I uh, felt that it was not a fair offer. Then in February of 2018, Stan says he received another email from Samsung stating the company was prepared to offer him the rebate, but the repair option was no longer on the table. I was, to put it in a word, stupefied. Still refusing the rebate, Stan says he received another email from Samsung in March of 2018 with a rebate offer of $630 and an ultimatum that he had three days to accept Samsung's final offer. Stan reached out to Consumer Matters for help. 
I sent it off to the Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea. Within 12 hours of sending the email to her, a fellow named Dominic from uh, Samsung on the phone uh, telling me that the uh, uh, repair technician would be in contact with me. On top of that, Samsung wrote Stan a check for $125. Samsung Canada telling Consumer Matters, We have successfully reached out to Mr. Weir and mutually agreed upon a resolution that includes the repair of his washer and a goodwill measure to compensate him for any inconvenience. Now, 17 months later from when he received his recall notice, Stan finally has his machine repaired. And Stan says he intends to donate the $125 check to Variety, the children's charity. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. At least four people are dead and hundreds more injured after a major earthquake struck Japan. Two of the deaths, including a child, were caused by a wall collapse. The 6.1 magnitude quake brought much of Osaka to a standstill today, grounding flights and forcing commuters off trains. And it was a wild ride for commuters. Dashcam video shows vehicles bouncing around. It also cut off natural gas supply to more than 100,000 homes, and it might be days before it can be restored. The U.S. appears as divided as ever tonight as heartbreaking images of children separated from their parents continue to come in from the country's southern borders. And while political pressure is mounting from both sides, the president is digging in. Tonight, escalating calls for the president to end his zero-tolerance policy now. The president has the ability to stop this if he'd like. I understand uh, that he wants to get a comprehensive fix of immigration. So do I. So can the president end this crisis with a phone call? The answer, yes. His attorney general, Jeff Sessions, announced the zero tolerance policy in April. The administration could reverse it just as quickly. But for his part, the president is trying to put the blame on Democrats. I say it's very strongly the Democrats' fault. They're obstruction. They're really obstructionist. The president tweeting, change the laws. But there is no law requiring families to be separated. Only the zero tolerance policy that's prompting it. So what's the president talking about? There is a law against crossing the border illegally. The administration argues that opens a loophole to let adults with kids be released after a few days. It's been a problem dating back multiple administrations. But former presidents Bush and Obama didn't separate families in similar situations. I will look into that. I'm not aware that there's a Secretary Nielsen defending the administration in a fiery briefing. Why doesn't the president pick up the phone and change the policy? He said he hates it. I think what the president is trying to do is find a long-term fix. So why don't we have Congress change the laws to change the No, Congress can fix this tomorrow. Republicans are proposing new immigration legislation this week to address loopholes and separation. But it's facing steep odds as the crisis increasingly engulfs the president. This policy of family separation reminds us of the cattle cars of Nazi Germany. When children were separated from their parents, it reminds us of the Japanese internment camps. Tesla is investigating how one of its cars appeared to suddenly catch fire on a busy Los Angeles street on Friday. Cell phone video captured heavy flames and smoke pouring out from under this Model S, owned by director Michael Morris and his wife, actress Mary McCormick. The company says the, quote, extraordinarily unusual incident 
could be due to a faulty battery, adding the cabin was unaffected because of the car's architecture. Tesla maintains its cars are 10 times less likely to catch fire than regular cars, adding it'll take further tests to finally determine exactly what happened. We are hearing from Meghan Markle's dad for the first time since the royal wedding. I can't think of a better replacement than someone like Mr. Charles. He, you know, uh, he looked very handsome and, and my daughter looked beautiful with him. I, I was jealous. I wish I had been there. I wish it had been me. But thank God he was there and thank him for that. Thomas Markle was supposed to take part in the ceremony but got caught up in a tabloid scandal just days before the wedding. He eventually cancelled his appearance, citing health concerns. Markle has yet to meet his daughter's new husband in person, but says he has spoken to Prince Harry several times on the phone. In Health Matters tonight, people who are struggling to care for aging loved ones got a big boost from the provincial government today. Health Minister Adrian Dix committing $75 million to expand respite care and adult day programs. The money will be rolled out over three years and will provide relief for the 31% of caregivers who identified in a recent report as in distress. This money will go to extending hours at respite and other programs, keeping more people at home with their loved ones. For the more than 1 million family and friend caregivers in B.C., This will mean if they need a break for a few hours after work or on the weekends, options will be there. And if they need longer breaks, there will be more overnight respite beds ready to provide that support. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. If you're thinking of throwing some seafood on the old grill tonight, listen up. You may not be eating what you think. A new study shows a quarter of all seafood sold in Metro Vancouver is mislabeled. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, it doesn't seem to matter if you choose to eat out or at home. Ever wonder if you're getting the fish you paid for? If so, you're in good company. Lots of uh, studies have been uh, done in, around the world telling people that the seafood mislabeling rate is pretty high. UBC PhD candidate Yashi Ho wondered how Metro Vancouver stacked up, so she got to work, collecting 285 samples of fish from restaurants, sushi venues, and grocery stores. So when we extract the DNA, we sequence the DNA, and we compare our sequence results uh, with the library to see which kind of fish exactly is we're getting. Her findings, 70 of the samples were mislabeled. That's 25%. The number one offender, fish labeled snapper or red snapper. This group of fish has the highest mislabeling rate. Um, The rate was uh, 31 out of 34 of our samples were mislabeled. The potential reasons? One, unintentional mislabeling due to a complicated multinational seafood supply chain. Another possibility is there's some um, dishonest fish industry or seafood industry or even the restaurants. They might want to uh, intentionally labeling their cheap products as something more expensive to get more economic benefits. Restaurants in Metro Vancouver were found to mislabel fish 29% of the time, followed by grocery stores at 24% and sushi venues at 23%. It matters for many reasons, not the least of which mislabeling makes it difficult for consumers to buy sustainably. 
purchasing this kind of fish, you're actually helping the uh, in illegal and registered and and recorded um, fisher fishing practice. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. How about this battle between two apex predators, a python and a gator, and the two men that got in between them? That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. Is that smart? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It's thrilling. Oh, my goodness. Smart. Uh, well, we'll find out. All right, Christy Gordon down at English Bay on this beautiful record-breaking day. Christy? Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's absolutely spectacular down here. You can see it's packed behind me, people playing volleyball. A lot of families coming down, actually, for dinners, uh, packing their dinner down there, and a lot of people enjoying the popsicles. I'm a sucker for fudgicles. I just couldn't help myself, although it is melting all over me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this heat because it is sensational in terms of the widespread uh, heat that we're seeing. Warnings all across northern Alberta, even into the Caribou, the uh, Fraser Valley and Metro Vancouver included in that. But really much of the province also under a special weather statement because these temperatures are 10 to 12 degrees above seasonal. That's why we're seeing record-breaking conditions. Here's a look at what it looks like and keep in mind anywhere near water is a good degree or two uh, above what you're seeing here in terms of the feels like or the humidex value so incredible heat for this time of year now for those of you in the interior you have three more heat days on the way south coast just two more before conditions drop off on thursday but it will take a while for the southern interior to climb or to drop back down to near uh, seasonal or average conditions and a reminder if you see anyone that's confused and especially if their skin is no longer sweating if it's hot and dry that means they have heat stroke and this is nothing to um uh you need to make take this seriously call 911 give them fluids uh, this is way past heat exhaustion, just to not give you an idea of what you would notice on a person with heat stroke. Fire danger rating, moderate to high, huge difference compared to what we saw just last week. One part of the province, though, not enjoying the heat that the rest of us are. Fernie probably wondering, what are you guys talking about? The rest of the province, this is your forecast for tomorrow, hot and dry 36 degrees in Kamloops, 34 for Kelowna, uh, up to 31 away from the water in Metro Vancouver. And we'll see two days across the south coast before it starts to peter off. But keep in mind, we don't have any major rain in the forecast as far as we can see. And even Friday with a chance of showers, it'll be 21 degrees, which is above seasonal for this time of year. Now, this is melted all over my hand, but I can't wait to dive into it. I'll bring one back for you for you guys as well. Well, sure you will. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to melt by the time it gets here. you got to stock up over the next couple of days. Exactly. Nice. Right. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> well, now to that epic battle between two of Mother Nature's dominant reptiles, and it took a couple of hunters to break it all up. Watch it, buddy. Hold on. Jack Hubbard and Mike Kimmel were out hunting for pythons when they spotted the three-meter-long snake tightly gripping an alligator. The two were able to pull the python off and bag the snake. The South Florida government has put the program in place to help keep the invasive python population under control. And if you can believe it, Hubbard, who captured the snake, was actually afraid of the reptiles before this ordeal. He now says he has conquered his fear. He's pushing past the fear. I always what you wonder do. if animals know when we've helped them. Like, will the gators send them like an edible bouquet or something? Like, <laughs> hey, thanks for keeping me alive. 
And does the python thinks to himself, like we had that thing with the snapping turtle last week, and oh. it's like, hey, you guys just yeah. took food off my plate. What this up with that? Happy. And, the, and the goose or something? Or yeah, the duck? something like that, yeah. yeah. What? What? Are you using the logo that you devised with Tavis well, uh, in this sports cast story. at all? It's at the end of the Okay, okay. okay. It's, quite, it's pretty good. At the start. Yeah. Of course, you've ruined the whole thing. No, sorry, no, sorry. I, <laughs> no, 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 sorry. no. No, I appreciate No, no, you're right. It was a good question to ask. Yeah. And the answer is yes, but not right away. You'll understand <laughs> at the end of the story. You will. You'll understand momentarily. It's actually been quite a week, or it will be quite a week for the Vancouver Canucks, because on Friday and Saturday, they're going to pick some new players at the NHL draft in Dallas. Today... They bought a lacrosse team. Not just any lacrosse team. They bought the Vancouver Stealth. We don't know for how much, but we think it's probably no more than $5 million. That's what lacrosse expansion teams are going for. It's a deal they'd actually talked about doing for a couple of years and one the National Lacrosse League is very happy with. NHL teams owning national lacrosse teams seems to be a growing trend. Take it. Take it. You know, we, we have four other teams, you know, franchise teams from the NHL that are, all, that are in, this, uh, in the lacrosse business already, and they love it. They love the excitement it brings to the arena, the opportunity it's given their staff, and what it's done for the city. And we've been following it and watching it in Calgary and Colorado, Buffalo, and now Philadelphia. We just thought we could do the same thing here in Vancouver. The Stealth's home had been the Langley Event Center ever since the team moved here from Everett, Washington four years ago. Going down to Rogers Arena means a lot more seats to sell. So what is the expectation from the Canucks? You know, I think if, we, if we're able to get 7,000 people here to start with and then build from there, I think we'd be pretty excited. We're seeing over 10,000 people at the other NHL venues that, that they're hosting. So we know it's there. We, you, know, we've got to, you know, we've got to work hard to get there. Before they start their season this December, they'll change the name. They'll no longer be the Stealth. And their colors will likely be the Canuck colors of blue, green, and white, which leads us to a suggestion for the logo. Johnny Canuck holding a lacrosse stick. I like that. There's the, okay, now, do we have to give you 10% if we go that no, way? No, okay. no, just, just make it happen. It worked. I love the Johnny Canuck logo. Hey, Barry Trotz has quit as the Washington Capitals head coach, likely because he didn't think the Capitals were offering enough money for an extension. Under Trotz, he had the best overall record the last four years and, of course, won the Cup. And that guy he's passing the Cup to is Todd Reardon, and he will likely be the Caps' new head coach now that Trotz is gone. Trotz could land with the New York Islanders. They're looking for a coach. Harry Kane and England, first game of the World Cup against Tunisia. They start strong, the English do. And Harry Kane is right there for the rebound. And it's 1-0 for England, wearing the red. But then, a penalty. There's been quite a few penalties so far. A lot of PKs in this tournament. <laughs> Not very far into it. Uh, for Yanni Sassi, converts. Tunisia ties. The other thing I notice a lot, a lot of goals in extra time. You see that a lot in soccer. Why not score in the first 90 minutes? They had one each, and then Harry Kane. How did Tunisia left, leave Harry Kane that wide open? That's a winner. 2-1. England gets the win. I don't know if they get paid overtime, but they seem to like to score in overtime. Panama, number seven, Blas Perez, former Vancouver Whitecap. Uh, Mertens for Belgium. One nothing. And then two goals from Romelu Lukaku. Here's his second as Belgium wins this one as expected by the score of 3-0. Sweden and South Korea. 
in Nizhny. Marcus Berg with the chance. Jo Hyung-woo with the save. And a nice save at that to keep the South Koreans in it. We mentioned PKs being prevalent in the World Cup so far. Well, the video review referee catches this. The referee didn't catch it on the field. And they awarded the penalty. So it's Andreas Granvitz. Can he score? She can't look. Yes, she can. Here we go. And kick it already. Sweden wins. one nothing against South Korea. So only one group has yet to start the World Cup. That is Group H, and that's what Chanel is previewing right now. Of all the groups, this one could see any of the four teams win the group or finish dead last. Now, with very little separation between Poland, Senegal, Colombia, and Japan, Group H may be the most unpredictable group in Russia. Poland won 8 of 10 in qualifying and ranked in the top 10. They are led by captain Robert Lewandowski, who scored 16 goals most ever in UEFA qualifying, deadly with either foot and head. Now, if he finds the back of the net, look for Poland to move on. Their weakness is in the midfield, but expect this team to advance to the knockout stage. Senegal may be one of the most athletic sides in Russia. They are quick and will try to beat opponents with pace. They went undefeated in qualifying, and the defense has some world-class talent. But the most important piece, Sadio Mane, the forward has scored at least 10 goals in his last four seasons in the English Premier League. Colombia is poised to duplicate their performance from four years ago when they reached the quarters. They do have two Premier stars in James Rodriguez and Radamel Falco. The Colombians are a slight favorite to win this group, but if that happens, it means a likely date versus Belgium or England in the round of 16. Japan won their qualifying group and head to their sixth final, but a new manager now has just two months to get this team ready. Sinji Okazaki, who plays for Leicester City, will be counted on for scoring, but overall Japan will have a tough time advancing from this group, likely destined to finish at the bottom. Well, it may be the graduation speech of all graduation speeches. A Texas high school senior dropping the mic and stunning his classmates. What made it so unusual was people who know Seth Scott know he's a man of few words. He has autism and is typically nonverbal. But this time, his message was loud and clear. Do the unexpected. Speaker, Seth Scott. Seth Scott's graduation speech was full of surprises. Because I wanted the fellow graduates to hear me the last time we would be together. You see, he's autistic and often nonverbal. Yes, I have autism, but I am also a smart aleck. Unexpected, right? <laughs> Younger brother Sim and their mom Vicky helped write the six-minute speech. He inspired Seth to find his voice. My brother Sim is a nine-year brain tumor survivor who has given dozens of speeches to raise money for various children's charities. It took seven weeks of preparation to get to this podium. I feel proud because it made people happy. 
His heartfelt message shared joy and kindness through the unexpected. Standing in a long line, waiting for a table at a restaurant, when your name is called, let the people behind you go first. His words brought laughter, smiles, and tears. I could hear you know, people crying, and then I could hear more people crying. And so I'm recording, so I'm, not trying, I'm trying not to um, cry out loud, but I started tearing up. He's becoming more social, which is good. Defying the odds Sorry. and oh, expectations. What do you think, Seth? Uh, I am great. <laughs> Yona Govino, CBS 11 News. Great. Happy graduation, Seth. You bet. Okay, let's check in very quickly once again with Christy, who's down on the beach, and a final look at the weather before we go. Mm-hmm. Well, it sure is a hot one. I wanted to mention overnight lows tonight down to 17, 18 degrees. That's the same as our daytime highs last week. It's going to be a hot one tonight. There's two guys playing with a Frisbee right behind you. I know how much you love the ultimate. You better go down there and chuck it around with them. And bring <laughs> back our fudgicles. Yeah. See so, yeah, Have a good night. Thanks for watching. Good night, all.